Let's open our Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 again this evening and consider the second half of this precious verse that God in mercy has given to us and in continued mercy shown us and convicted us that we ought to consider it. Several men as they got up this evening to give thanks made reference to the truth and we have the truth told to, spoken to us very plainly here in the middle of these three verses. Amen. So let me read to you again the last three verses of 1 Timothy chapter 3. These things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, Amen. seen of angels, Amen. preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Amen, amen. amen and amen. As I taught you this morning, the Apostle Paul wanted to give written instructions to Timothy on how to conduct himself as a bishop of Jesus Christ in the church of God. And as he's trying to add importance to what Timothy needs to do, he says, this house of God that you are operating in, Timothy, as a bishop, it's also the church or the congregation of the living God, and it is the pillar and ground of the truth. The church of Jesus Christ is the supporting device. It's the place, it's the organism of support for the truth. The, the church teaches the truth, holds the truth, defends the truth, and promotes the truth at every opportunity. Amen. And so the apostle is trying to show Timothy the importance of behaving himself wisely because of the truth that has been committed to the ministry and to the church. Amen. And then to give him a, a little taste of what truth had really been committed to the church and to the ministry, he gives him verse 16. And without controversy, Timothy, what we've got that we carry about, the news that we have to share with men, is glorious indeed, and there is no controversy about that matter. It is great stuff. Amen. It is good matter, as we read from Psalm 45. And there are six things there. God was manifest in the flesh. Jehovah, as I taught you this morning, came to earth and walked among men. Incredible. For 33 and a half years, Jehovah was here in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ who now sits at his right hand. Fully God, fully man, no dilution of either, one person, both natures entirely intact. Wonderful, glorious. What religion has a fact like that? Jehovah, they don't even have Jehovah, let alone Jehovah coming in the form of a man to earth. We cannot learn this from nature. We cannot learn this from human reasoning or thinking. No matter how many of us were to get together and speak to each other, this is by pure revelation. Amen. Jesus Christ was Jehovah God in the flesh. Right. We saw that this morning. He was justified in the spirit. Though laid in a manger at birth, though crucified after conviction by the Roman government of blasphemy and crimes against his nation, he was vindicated and declared to be the Son of God by the Spirit of God who raised him from the dead. Right. Now that wasn't the only time the Holy Spirit of God vindicated the Lord Jesus Christ, but it was the main one. I hope that you know, remember, thinking of John the Baptist baptizing his cousin when the Holy Spirit spoke to him and said, when you see the heavens open, and the Spirit of God descending like a dove, then you'll know you've just baptized the Son of God. John tells us that in John chapter 1. So the Holy Spirit anointed Jesus Christ, and he went about doing good, as the Apostle Paul is going to tell Cornelius tonight in Acts chapter 10, because he had tremendous miracle-working power, because he had the presence of the Holy Spirit without measure. He didn't have a double portion, those of you that were not here this morning, he had an unlimited portion, right. without measure. Amen. 
above all of his fellows, above Elijah and above Elisha, Jesus Christ had the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit worked throughout his lifetime to witness that he was indeed the Son of God, and that ministry has not ceased nor abated. The Holy Spirit's purpose in the church and in this earth is to witness of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, that he is the Son of God, and he's witnessing to you right now because I'm reading to you a book authored by the Holy Spirit of God, and you have a pastor that you pray and hope was called, ordained, prepared, and convicted for this very message by the Spirit of God. Right. And you're here tonight because the Spirit of God has led you to be here. That's right. So the Holy Spirit is still witnessing that Jesus is the Christ. Amen. Scene of angels. Now the wording is so abbreviated in all of these little expressions, you wonder, why is it so short? Why didn't he give us a verse on it? Well, then it wouldn't be quite as precious to have one single sentence with all these different statements in it so clearly. Right. Scene of angels. It wasn't just merely seeing Jesus Christ that would be great, because the angels see everything that transpires in heaven and in earth. It has to be more than just seeing it, it's seeing it with a great deal of affection and desire, interest and care. For instance, Job said in Job 31.1, I've made a covenant with mine eyes, why then should I think upon a maid? Now is that bare thinking? Or did he have to think as the head of that household about his various maids and what they were supposed to be doing? But it's not ungodly thinking about his maids in a sense of wanting a woman other than the one he was married to. So we read the verse, we see the word thought, and we know that it means more than just thinking about his maids. And when we see scene of angels, it's more than just seeing Jesus Christ. It's seeing Jesus Christ with great admiration and great worship and great affection. And the main point we're to gather from that is heaven was interested in Jesus Christ from the beginning to the end of his life and they're still worshiping him around his throne, what's wrong with men? Right. Without controversy, great is the religion of the Lord Jesus Christ because the angels in heaven are intimately involved in it from the beginning. They burst open the skies over Judea, didn't they, to announce the birth of Jesus Christ to those shepherds? And they were active in the wilderness where he was being tempted by their former colleague, the devil. And they were there at the end, rolling the, st rolling the stone away from the tomb. Brethren, are you with me? Yes. Did they see Jesus risen from the dead? Yes. Yes. Where was Jesus when the women arrived? He was behind a tree. I'm not trying to be foolish. Right. Think about it. The other gospels tell us as soon as the women turned away from the tomb, they met the gardener, didn't they? Right. But it wasn't the gardener. Do you think the angels knew where he was? Amen. They had just watched him walk out of the tomb and go over behind the trees, and here's the women bawling, wondering where their Lord was. Were they enjoying every moment? Yes. He told you he was going to rise from the dead. Women, he is risen. Then Peter and John get there a few minutes later. The Lord is right there in the garden, and they know it. They have seen the risen Lord. And when he ascended up into heaven, they were there standing beside him. And as the disciples were just in awe at Jesus levitating and ascending straight up into heaven bodily, visibly, corporally, just as we are being transformed on his way into a glorious body, the angels said, what are you staring up into heaven for? Right. We're here to escort him home. That's where he belongs and you want him to go there. He's gonna give you power in just one week and take this little message with you when you go. He's gonna come in like manner as you have seen him go. He's gonna come back for you, just as he said. He told you he would be buried and rise from the dead, and he did, and he's coming back for you, and he will. Amen. And that's the hope of the believer. The angels were there. Do you remember what he told Nathaniel? If you're impressed that I was able to recognize you under the fig tree some distance away, you're going to see angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man over the next three and a half years, John 1, Because the angels were coming back and forth between Jesus and God, sustaining him, helping him, comforting him in the Garden of Gethsemane. They were all interested in him. And remember, if he would have said, 
while he was tied up and blindfolded and they smashed him in the face for your sins and for mine and dared him to say who it was that had just hit him if he was the son of God while they falsely accused him of blasphemy and crimes against his nation if he would have said get me out of this mess I want to tell you that 12 legions of God's angels would have ripped Jerusalem to shreds and they would have delivered him from that mess but he didn't make that prayer did he but I want you to remember according to this little expression those angels were watching and they were do you know what kind of power they had do you know what one of them could have done to every one of Herod's soldiers and they were standing there watching the Son of Man be assaulted by wicked men and they held back because they obey all he would have had to do was say I can't take anymore and they would have delivered him and brethren you and I would drop straight into hell but they obeyed the Lord of glory and kept their distance and they but up until that point they kept their distance as well didn't they they kept their distance around the Savior you know our president has the secret service and for them we are very thankful but he, our Lord Jesus Christ had a better secret service Amen. when when the men of the synagogue in Nazareth tried to take Jesus Christ to the brow of a hill to cast him off those people couldn't touch him they were trying and this was no force field brethren I hate Star Wars and all imaginations of men that try to I hope everyone understands what I mean where they try to take and create things that destroy the faith of God's elect that aren't strong there was a field around the Lord Jesus Christ but it wasn't a force field it was the secret service of heaven right. it was his bodyguards it was the angels there protecting him ascending descending and no one could touch him Amen. see we're not told all that the angels did but from beginning how did Joseph know that Mary was pregnant by the Holy Ghost an angel told him how did Mary know how she got pregnant an angel told her from beginning to end the angels were there it wasn't just barely seeing Jesus it was loving Jesus Amen. heaven was interested we ought to be most interested right. what's the next next expression here in first Timothy 3 16 preached unto the Gentiles Amen. preached unto the Gentiles now brethren can you count Abraham as your father Amen. in the in the flesh no you can't you are Gentiles after the flesh are you glad that he was preached unto the Gentiles Amen. the Bible tells us that when God divided the nations he set all their boundaries according to the number of the people of the children of Israel the entire earth it's 24,000 miles around it the entire earth's population and the nations were divided to make way for the smallest of nations called the nation of Israel Exodus 19 tells us that Deuteronomy 7 tells us that Deuteronomy 32 tells us that that God divided the nations with an eye to the nation of Israel because that was his nation right. it tells us in Amos chapter 3 and verse 2 of all the families of the earth I've only known you right. you have been my special people you as a nation are the only nation that I've dealt with as a nation every other Gentile that they ever encountered in the Old Testament were exceptional individuals not a nation he dealt with the Jews brethren he dealt with the children of Abraham and we were cut out we weren't the children of Abraham we came through another line from Noah's three sons not we didn't come through Shem we were cut out we were outside the Commonwealth of Israel we were cut out of the promises and the hope of them we were aliens from the nation of of Israel and from the covenant promises he had made to them in the, in the gospel of Matthew we are told that Jesus was not sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel he preached to Israelites his entire ministry he was a minister of the circumcision the Bible tells us he didn't serve the uncircumcision he didn't preach to Gentiles he preached to the Jews and to the Jews only other than one or two exceptions here or there do you remember the Gentile woman that came yes. and he said it's not fit to give the children's bread to dogs wasn't she a good woman with a lot of faith 
she said, but the dogs do eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And he said, I haven't seen such great faith in all of Israel. There was an exceptional Gentile woman, but that was an exception. Jesus preached to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and when he sent his disciples out a batch of 70 and a batch of 12, he sent them out two by two, and he said, go into every village you come to, but only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. What we're dealing with right now is one incredible change in the history of the world. Amen. For 2,000 years, it was Jews and Jews only. And they knew it, and they got haughty about it, and so God took it away. And brethren, we can never be haughty about what God's given us. We're not going to apologize for it, but we can't be haughty about it because what we have is by pure grace. And we better take use of it every day of our lives and never take it for granted, nor turn away from it preached unto the Gentiles. Let's come over to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. The Gospel of Matthew. Gentile, I mean to Jews. You read through it, Jesus preaching to the Jews. The same with Mark, Luke, John. And in the Gospel of, in the, in the epistle of Acts, which tells us the word, Acts of the Apostles, we see the Apostles from the day of Pentecost preaching to the Jews. Jerusalem is exploding with converted Jews, then Judea, then Samaria in Acts chapter 8 when Philip went to Samaria. They were half Jews, remember? The Samaritans were half-breeds. But now we have a whole chapter in our Bible called Acts chapter 10. And we've got a problem. There's a man and he's leading a whole household to fear God. And he's begging God for the truth. The Lord has regenerated him. Cornelius was regenerated and born again before Acts 10.1. Because when we find Cornelius in the first few verses of Acts chapter 10, he's fearing God, which no natural man will ever do by nature. He's praying to God always, and his prayers are being heard, and God only hears the prayers of the righteous. He's giving alms to the people, showing a heart full of Christian charity. Right. How do we know it's Christian charity and not just giving to UNICEF? Because God accepted it. Amen. And God came to him and said, I have someone to help you. Amen. Now let's go into Acts 10 and let me briefly summarize it for you. Cornelius is praying to God always, and an angel comes to him. A what? You mean they're still serving the Lord Jesus Christ? Amen. Oh boy, it's the first time Cornelius has seen one, and he's come with a personal message, and it's in verse 4. Cornelius was afraid when he looked on him and said, What is it, Lord? What a man. Is that what Paul said? Yes. What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for memorial before God. Wouldn't that be exciting to hear at the end of a prayer meeting? Amen. And now send men to Joppa, and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodgeth with one Simon a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. He shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. He's going to tell Cornelius what he ought to do with that regenerated heart that wants to serve the Lord with his whole house. Now we jump immediately. Oh, Cornelius jumps immediately and sends servants to get Peter. But then in verse 9... While they're on their journey to the city of Joppa, Peter, just before lunchtime, goes up on the rooftop of, his, of the place where he's staying and sits down and has a vision. He was very hungry. He wanted to eat. And about 12 o'clock, the sixth hour, verse 9 tells us, a great sheet knit together at the four corners, a great piece of cloth held together by its four corners, full of all sorts of unclean animals. Now, the Jews were very strict about what you could eat and what you could not eat. But this sheet, filled with all manner of four-footed beasts, in verse 12, creeping things and fowls, things that Jews couldn't eat, is lowered down to them, and a voice from heaven says, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. And here's Peter. He doesn't have a whole lot to say. He just says, no, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. He knows it's from heaven. He's conscious that it's, it's God offering him these unclean animals, and three times this is done. Rise and eat. You're hungry. Here's some meat for you. 
I, want, I don't eat things that are unclean, Lord. And this happens three times. And God says to him in verse 15, What God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. Do you like those words at all? Anybody here like those words? Any of you goyim? Any of you goyim like those words? Goyim. The Jewish word that, by which they call all of us Gentiles. Cattle. Do you know what the Bible says right here? God said don't call them common anymore because God's cleansed them. God has his people among the Gentiles. That verse ought to mean a whole lot to you. Right. What God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. And it happened three times. Now Peter's doubting what in the world this vision means. He hasn't made the connections yet. But just about the time the sheep draws back up into heaven, there's a knock, and we have the servants of Cornelius there. Right. And while Peter thought on the vision, verse 19, the Spirit saith unto him, said unto him, Behold, three men seek thee. Is the Holy Spirit still doing some justifying work Amen. of showing how great the work of Jesus Christ was that it included Gentiles as well? Arise therefore, Peter, in verse 20, and get thee down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Brethren, whenever you have any doubts about anything, go to the Word of God in prayer, and the Holy Spirit and His angels are able to come to you and take away your doubts. Does verse 17 tell us that Peter was doubting? Was Peter an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ? Yeah. Is this after Pentecost? Did he still have doubts? Did he have doubts by verse 20? No. The Lord Jesus Christ spoke to him from heaven and said, Go with these Gentiles. So Peter went with them. And he comes to the house of Cornelius. Now he's got a choice to make. It is not lawful for a Jew to go into the house of Gentiles. Ah, that's what the vision was for. So he goes on in, and Cornelius has quite a crowd there. He has an assembly of Gentiles, his family and his household. He was a centurion, and his friends are all there. And Cornelius says, this assembly is here to hear whatsoever God has commanded of you for us to do. Now tell us, and you're, you're lucky that you made, a, you made haste in getting here because we didn't want to wait very long. Amen. Have you read it? Yep. That's what he's, he didn't use the word lucky. He meant, I'm glad that you hurried to get here because we want to know what God has for us. Right. Peter, Peter's got some Jews standing there wondering what he's going to do because only one man had the vision, and that's Peter. The rest didn't, and here's Peter standing in a house of Gentiles. Now, do you want to read some really good words? Are you ready for some really good words? Are you ready for some words that might make the words preached unto the Gentiles precious to you? Yeah, right. Verse 34, then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. Amen. Brethren, coming from, a, coming from a Jew and an apostle to the Jews, this is quite a statement. Of a truth, I perceive. Now, a day or two earlier, he didn't perceive very much, except that he shouldn't eat anything common or unclean. But the Lord Jesus Christ has taught him some truth. Of a truth, this is the truth that the church is the pillar and ground of. There is no respect of persons with the Lord Jesus Christ. He saves all kinds of all men, Jews and Gentiles, rich and poor, high and low, bond and free, male and female, praise his holy name. Amen. There is no discrimination in the church of Jesus Christ. None. There, is no there are no classes, there are no races when it comes to our relationship to Jesus Christ. Amen. Of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons because he has just been accosted by a group of Gentiles that he can tell, fear God, pray always, and that God had sent angels to because Cornelius gave his testimony first. Right. Of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but here it gets better. But in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. Amen. Brethren, we do not work righteousness and fear God in order to be accepted. Look at the verb tenses and try to remember something that you learned in school. 
He that worketh right, he that feareth him is present tense, and worketh righteousness is present tense. To be is accepted is a passive voice, perfect tense. The acceptance came before the fearing and the working. And we all know that from the whole Bible. Working righteousness cannot be a condition or salvation is by works. Working righteousness is a consequence of God accepting us. These men had been accepted by the Lord Jesus Christ and by God his Father. And as a result of that, they were fearing him and working righteousness. And Peter says there's no difference between you and me. God is no respecter of persons. It's obvious that he's done the same work in you that he's done in us. And you've been accepted with him as much as we've been accepted. But let me tell you a little something that you may not know about. And he preached Jesus Christ to him. You may have heard about this man, Jesus of Nazareth. But let me tell you a little bit more about him. And he's preaching away. And all of a sudden, the Lord wants to give Peter a little encouragement. And the Holy Ghost falls on Cornelius and the assembled Gentiles, and they start speaking in tongues. And the very thing happens to them that happened to Peter and the apostles on the day of Pentecost. Acts 10 is what we call a landmark chapter. This is a great change. Look at this, verse 44. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on them, on all them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision which believed, the Jews that were with Peter, were astonished. Now, when the Bible tells us, and without controversy, great is the clause preached unto the Gentiles, do you understand why? The Jews are astonished. Their minds are being blown that God is dealing with the Gentiles just the way he had dealt with them at Pentecost, by pouring out his spirit on them. They were astonished, as many as came with Peter. What does that mean? Everyone that came with Peter that hadn't had the vision, nor his spiritual removal of doubts, was astonished by what was this change of Acts chapter 10. Because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost, for they heard them speak with tongues, and they understood because they had the gift of interpretation and magnify God. They've got a whole room full of Gentile preachers by the power of the Holy Ghost. They hear them magnifying God in all sorts of languages. It's not just babbling like the Benny Hinn show on television. These were preaching truth and magnifying God. What did Peter say? Then answered Peter, can any man forbid water? That these should not be baptized which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we and he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord, Amen. right there on the spot. Now, that was a bold step, and Peter's about to get in trouble for it, but Peter didn't care, and that's why God chose Peter, because he wasn't usually very afraid of men until he got too cocky, and then the Lord would have to humble him with a little servant girl. But usually Peter was bold, and he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord, and Cornelius and his household are baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Acts chapter 11. Verse 1, the apostles and brethren that were in Judea heard the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter was come up to Jerusalem, they that were of the circumcision, that is the Jews, contended with him, saying, Thou wentest into men uncircumcised, and didst eat with them. But Peter rehearsed the matter from the beginning, just like I am with you. And when he gets to the end of his testimony, verse 18. Well, let's get verse 17. Here's his conclusion. For Acts eleven seventeen. For as much then as God gave them the like gift as he did unto us, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, what was I that I could withstand God? Amen. How could I withstand God since they were speaking in tongues like we did on the day of Pentecost? When they heard these things, they held their peace. It ended the debate. No more arguing with Peter. And they glorified God. This is a great matter, and it is incontrovertible. This is without a doubt an incredible change in God's dealing with the world. They glorified God, saying, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. God's given Gentiles the gift of repentance, and he's given them the gift of eternal life. Things have changed. 
They stopped their arguing and gave God the glory. Amen. But there's a man who's out in Arabia at this time. A special man. That man, Saul of Tarsus. When Saul of Tarsus was first converted and he was given some meat after three days of fasting and being blind, what did he do as soon as he got his strength back? In Damascus. He walked right into that synagogue and it says he confounded the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. <laughs> Three days. Now that's a quick study. That was, that was Acts chapter 9. Then he went into Arabia. We have Acts chapter 10. And then what do we find? Paul comes back and he ends up at the church of Antioch of Syria. And God calls him to go forth and preach the gospel in Acts chapter 13. In Acts chapter 13, he travels through a few places and he comes to a place where the Jews aren't very receptive. Now a man named Ananias who baptized Saul of Tarsus knew what Paul's life was going to be like. He was going to preach the Gentiles because God told him. Watch this. Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. Verse 44. And the next, all the way up to that point, is Paul going into the synagogue of the Jews in this city. And, he get, and they, they gave him an opportunity to speak. Remember I mentioned that last Sunday evening. And he took full advantage of it if you read this sermon here in Acts 13. Verse 44, the next Sabbath day came almost the whole city together to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold by the power of the Holy Spirit and said... And listen to these words. It was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you. But seeing ye put it from you and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. For so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord, and as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. Amen. Do you know how these Gentiles have been treated so far? Second-class citizens, even the ones that believed on the God of the Jews. And the ones that didn't, they were goyim, off-limits, untouchables, couldn't eat together with the Jew. Those that feared God heard about this God of Israel, heard the great things that he did, and by the power of the Holy Spirit would have believed that that was the true God. But they were always considered second-class citizens. And here's Paul, having preached one of the better sermons of his lifetime, and the Gentiles heard it, some of them heard it, and then Paul says, well, fooey on you Jews, if you don't want the glorious message of Jesus Christ, we turn to the Gentiles because God has commanded us, and those that were familiar with their Bibles knew that that verse came from Isaiah 42 and verse 6, God sent us to the Gentiles. They would get excited that all of a sudden Gentiles were God's object of special affection with his gospel. Preached unto the Gentiles. Preached unto the Gentiles. God made a huge difference in his dealing with this world by preaching to the Gentiles. Paul continues, this is his first evangelistic trip, chapter 13, then chapter 14, then he goes back to his home church in Antioch of Syria, and here's what he says at the end of chapter 14. Verse 27, And when they were come and had gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that God had done with them, and how he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. Amen. And there they abode long time with the disciples. We are in a transitional period here that's very important. God's limited dealings, God's dealings with a very limited group of people, the Jews, has now been expanded to the Gentiles. Come over to Ephesians chapter 2, where this is called the mystery. This is a huge mystery, because the Jews never saw it coming. It blindsided them. It irritated them. And Paul used that irritation to try to provoke them to jealousy in Romans chapter 11. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning at verse 11. Beginning at verse 11. Wherefore remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, the Ephesian church was a church of Gentiles, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision 
in the flesh made by hands, you poor Gentiles, in the past, you were ridiculed as the uncircumcised by those who are circumcised, the Jews. Look at verse 12. That at that time ye were without Christ, no knowledge of, the, of Jesus Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. We were in a miserable condition. And this particular point runs from right here that I read all the way down through 3 and verse 13. Chapter 3 and verse 13. This whole section is the Apostle Paul saying, God chose me to be the apostle to the Gentiles to bring the gospel to them for this great change. I magnify mine office. I am the apostle of the Gentiles, the Apostle Paul said. And he goes down through here and explains that by the blood of Christ and the work of Jesus Christ, there was no longer a wall that separated Jews and Gentiles, but they were all one body, citizens of one kingdom, members of one church. And that this mystery had been hid from men. Look at verse 5 of chapter 3. Which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body. When you read that Old Testament and you read about David, God being with him, walking with him, blessing him, the Spirit of God coming upon him, and all the blessings of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, all the great saints, you'd have to realize we were cut out of that. We couldn't be a member of that assembly as a group. <clears throat> Maybe one or two individuals, but not as a group. All over. All over. We are a member of the kingdom of Christ now. There is no distinction. And you know what? The world still, the Christian world still wants to make a distinction that the Jews are God's chosen people. They are not God's chosen people. We are God's chosen people. We are the true seed of Abraham. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 16 says that if you're Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Amen. The promises that God made to Abraham are spiritual promises, and there are promises. There is no more difference, and they want to keep that difference up. They still haven't been on the rooftop with a sheet with unclean animals to hear God's words, what I have cleansed, call that, call not that common. Because the Gentiles are no longer common. We're united by the blood of Christ in one body, preached unto the Gentiles. I did so well this morning, time-wise, and I'm failing tonight. Oh, it's because I didn't take my watch off. Next phrase. There's more that could be said about that, but the next one, believed on in the world. Yeah. I hope you understand that preached unto the Gentiles was a huge watershed event. Amen. And it is great. And without controversy, it's great. Because if it wasn't for that, where would you and I be? We'd be rubbing two sticks together to get a fire going to worship some little statue of a bug. And maybe offering my firstborn. David, are you thankful? that it was preached to the Gentiles. Amen. Where would we be if it wasn't for that little expression? But now this one, believed on in the world. What does the Bible say about men in the world? God is not in all their thoughts. Does the Bible say that? Amen. It is Psalm 10:4. By nature, men never think about God. Never. They do not understand. There is none that seeketh after God. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Only within that little nation of Israel, now this is sort of connected to the Gentiles, but it's bigger. It's wanting, this little expression is to describe that in one generation of time, the entire world heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Again, look what they do today. Do you know that most churches in Greenville and in South Carolina and in America today make as their mission statement the fulfilling of the Great Commission when, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness, the Great Commission has already been fulfilled. Incredible. They're stealing the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ stood just before he levitated into heaven and he said this, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Ghost. And do you know what Mark 16, 19 and 20 tells us? They went everywhere and preached the gospel to every creature. Yes. Colossians 1.6, Colossians 1.23, Romans 1.8, 10.18, all of them say that. Right. 
He was believed on in the world. They turned the world upside down. They didn't have to go to some language school like every so-called missionary. I say so-called missionary because find me the term missionary in the Bible. All I know of is two offices, bishop and deacon. Show me a missionary. Define it by the Bible. I'll go anywhere and preach the gospel when God opens up a door, but we don't have missionaries. We don't know what a missionary is. We know what an evangelist was, but there aren't any anymore. And an evangelist is not somebody that goes around and prays on, that's not P-R-A-Y, it's P-R-E-Y, and prays on churches by coming in with his five polished up sermons and preaching and stealing from a man's flock and never dealing with any of his problems and troubles. Now that's the, with the circle that I came from, that's an evangelist. The definition of evangelist is someone who preaches the gospel to someone who's never heard. But every evangelist I ever met never preached to anyone who hadn't heard it in all their lives. They went to churches one week at a time, preached the same five messages, fleeced the flock, and went on their way without ever dealing with any of the pastor's problems, and they call that a work of the ministry. That's a joke. Amen. For five sermons, I can get any church excited without dealing with any of their problems and using the five best sermons I have in my repertoire. That's ridiculous. That, there's, no, there's no job description like that in the New Testament. Believed on in the world, brethren. Believed on in the world. The world never gave a thought about God. What were the, look at the Egyptians. They were worshiping Pharaoh. Look what Pharaoh thought about God. Who is the Lord that I should obey him? What were the Canaanites doing, the seven nations of Canaan? They thought that bestiality was the fulfillment of human existence. Are you with me? Have you read it in your Bibles? Do you know that? Do you know that they were so bad, God said, if I don't kill them, the land's going to vomit them out. Right. Does the Bible say that? Yeah. Or am I making that up? Does it say it once? Or does it say it 20 times? The Canaanites were horrible. Where would we be? Look at the world. Look what the world was without the gospel in those nations that God didn't send the gospel to. Even during the... What did they look like? Believed on in the world, some men turned the world upside down. They didn't need to go to language school because God taught them. They could speak in any language perfectly fluently. We read in Acts chapter 2 that those 15 language groups that were there in the day of Pentecost and the 15 language groups are listed, they said, how in the world can these Galileans who don't even know how to speak Hebrew correctly, how can they be speak, that's what it says, how can they be speaking our language perfectly when we were born in that tongue? Walk right in and preach the gospel in, in the tongue of the persons that were hearing it perfectly. Now, did they need airplane tickets and waste time sitting in airports? No, the Lord, the, the Lord moved them by his angels and his Holy Spirit. Philip the evangelist baptizes the Ethiopian eunuch. The eunuch comes up and he's all excited and he looks around to thank Philip for baptizing him and Philip's not there. What happened to Philip? Philip flat out disappeared in a chariot of fire and was found at Azotus and kept right on preaching. There wasn't even an intermission. You can read that in Acts chapter 8. It's glorious. Amen. They say, how could, how could 12 men cover the world? Listen, Paul covered most of it by himself. Why would you need 12? The Lord could have done it with three. What was, what was, Paul was getting bored. He says, every man in Asia has heard the word of God from my mouth. I am free from the blood of all men. Now, these are Paul's words. Right. And he said, if I can have a chance, I'm going to come and meet you people in Rome, but I'm not going to stay long because I'm on my way to Spain. Right. You know, I've covered Turkey. I've covered Syria. I've covered, go look at them. Remember when we went through the book of Acts and we saw those routes that he took? He covered the islands of the Mediterranean. He covered all the land around the Mediterranean, and he wanted to go to Spain. Do you remember that Putin's in Claudia? were converted by Paul in Rome and went to the British Isles. Why do we need the other 11? And there were more than 12 anyway. That's, you all know that, don't you? Barnabas was an apostle. Right. Apostle was an office. There's more than 12. There's, more, there's around 15 listed in the Bible. But anyway, how could Philip travel? Philip wasn't even an apostle. But look at how he moved. Right. Did Paul waste much time? When Paul stood at a crossroads in the northern part of modern Greece, we read about it in Acts chapter 16. He tried to go south. He turned to go south, and the Holy Spirit said, no, there's not much down there. So he turned and tried to go north. No, there's not much up there. And so he went to bed. And in the middle of the night, 
A man of Macedonia comes to him and says, come over and help us. He gets up in the morning and goes straight ahead. He was going to go left or right. It would have wasted a lot of time. He went straight ahead, crossed a strait, comes into Philippi of Macedonia, and guess who's waiting for him there? Lydia, a seller of purple, a number of other people, and a jailer who wants to meet him. Right. Didn't know it yet, but he wanted to meet him. Look at where that man went. He's a, he's, he's a captive in Rome, and he, he's able to write from Rome in 2 Timothy 4.22 and say, uh, they, uh, it's Philippians 4.22, they of Caesar's household salute you. He's converting Caesar's own household while he's there a captive in Rome. Believed on in the world. Brethren, th can you believe what they've done to this point? They still make it the goal of a church to fulfill the Great Commission when it's been fulfilled, and it's one of the incontrovertible points that is great. What God did in one generation. Matthew 24. Matthew 24, please. Fishermen. Men who never think about God. How are their lives turned upside down by fishermen coming and telling this kind of a story? I knew a man who was born of a virgin. He did lots of miracles. The Roman government crucified him on a cross and buried him, but he came back to life. And I'm here to tell you about him, that he's now in heaven, and he's going to come back and judge the earth. And when they said it, in one sentence you knew they were uneducated. When you asked him, what schools did you go to? I just went to the local technical college and took Fishing 101. That's all I ever did. Peter, James, John, Andrew. How'd they turn the world upside down? By the power of the Holy Ghost. Amen. That's why it's a great thing. The enemies said they turned the world upside down. That's not them bragging about what they did. That's their enemies saying, these that have turned the world upside down have come here. They're going to mess up our city. Because wherever they went, they messed up cities. What, what did it mean by messing up? What do I mean by messing up cities? Not everybody wanted to worship some little idol to a bug. That's right. And so they brought all their books. Remember in the city of Ephesus? All the books of witchcraft were brought and burned in a public square, and the value was 50,000 pieces of silver. That's a big change from fishermen and from the Apostle Paul and from others throughout the world in different language groups do you know what God was doing? He was trying to find you. He wasn't trying. He was, he was finding you by sending his message into the British Isles, which came to Pennsylvania, Delaware, and the other New England states. And brethren, we have a church today, a Baptist church, that holds the same apostolic faith and loves 1 Timothy 3.16 because the mystery of godliness was believed on in the world. God raised up a whole bunch of Gentiles that when they heard the message, they thought that fisherman did right well in stuttering through his message about Jesus of Nazareth, and they believed on him and were baptized and changed their lives. Do you remember 1, Timothy, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, where it says, where Paul reminds the Thessalonians how you turn from idols to serve the living and true God? Changed their lives. Believed on in the world. Look at Matthew 24, 14. Please don't forget this. Jesus, with the Olivet Discourse, he's on the Mount of Olives, verse 3 tells us, he's teaching his disciples about the destruction of Jerusalem, and he says this in verse 14. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. And the end is the end of the Jewish state, the temple, the priesthood, and everything else that pertained to Israel. How do we know that? By going to verses 34 and 35. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. We believe the words of Jesus. They believe the words of C.I. Schofield. They can believe them if they want. We're going to stick with the word of God. He was believed on in the world, and the gospel was preached to every creature. Amen. Come over to Colossians chapter 1 to verify that. Amen. Colossians chapter 1. Why in the world was Paul writing the church at Rome saying, your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world? Oh, they love the word world, but they don't love it when I use it, do they? The word world always means every single descendant of Adam, including Adam, and everyone that ever came from him. But when I use the word world, they want to take it like this, down to about 5,000 people 
over a 40-year time period with all the apostles working. But we're just going to go with the Word of God. We don't have a limitation on the whole world until we need to put one on it because of context or something else taught in the New Testament. They're inconsistent in their use of the Word of God. Colossians chapter 1, verse 6. Look at, the, look at verse 5. For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. So we know what we're, what's under consideration. Verse 6, which is come unto you in Colossae, as it is in all the world. The truth, the word of the truth of the gospel had come into all the world. Because, see, we're told about Paul. So what are we supposed to do with the other 11? They all went back to fishing? No, the Bible tells us they went everywhere and preached. So if you take a globe and you block out Paul's area that he covered and you multiply that by 11, 12, 13, or 14, guess what? There isn't any territory left. You say, but how could he have crossed an ocean? I answer to you, how could he have gone from an oasis in the desert with a eunuch to Azotus without human means? We're not told about those things. We just know that they all went everywhere and preached the gospel. Verse 23 of Colossians 1. Paul's exhorting them. We've been through these verses a couple of months ago. Paul's exhorting them to continue in the faith, grounded and settled. Does that sound like the, the faith that the church has? Amen. Grounded and settled. The church is the pillar and ground of the truth. Amen. And be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven. Now, now, who, now, who's playing with the Word of God? If I were to get up to you tonight and say, Jesus can't come until we preach the gospel to every creature, and so the most important thing for our church to do is to have another missions week and take more of your money for missionaries. If I was to say that, where am I finding that in the Bible? I know it's a popular thing to say, but where is it in the Bible? This verse says the gospel was preached to every creature. Right. Go to Mark 16. We need to read two verses that are part of about ten verses that are taken out of all the modern translations of the Bible. NIV, NASV, New RV, New RSV, and all the other V's, S's, A's, and R's. Look at this. They take out from verse 9 on. Mark, Mark 16 in their Bibles quits at verse 8. I carry this little jewel. It's a jewel like Paul described in Philippians chapter 3. Anybody want to see it? This is the NIV. This is what good and godly people like to read. It ends at Mark 16, 8. You know why it ends at Mark 16, 8? because they want to keep their people deceived, and so does the NASV, and so do all the others. They end at verse 8. Here's why. Verse 19. So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, to whom did the Lord speak? The eleven. His, his apostles. He was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Amen. And I say amen to that, that they did exactly what Jesus Christ commanded them to do. Exactly what the commission was, they went and did it. They went everywhere and did it. We believe that. He was believed on in the world. We could go to many other places and show you that the gospel was preached all over the place. Listen to this list of places, and this isn't all of them. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, Ethiopia, Corinth, around Corinth, beyond Corinth, Phrygia, Galatia, Asia, Greece, Crete, Rome, Italy, Spain, Illyricum, Babylon, and many others that were represented at Pentecost. It went everywhere, and we're only told about one of the apostles. Peter was writing to Babylon in 1 Peter 5.13, Babylon, in what, in the nation that we just whipped in a few weeks, the nation of Iraq, all over, believed on in the world. What, brethren, would cause Gentiles and, and men of the world, natural men that never gave God a thought, to change their lives because of the message of a few fishermen? What would cause that? That is a huge event. Right. 
And because of that huge event, Baptist churches came to this country, and we are a descendant of them. We are a descendant of them. We are a descendant that can be traced two ways, through the continent of Europe or back through the British Isles, right to Rome. Putins and Claudia are in the New Testament. Claudia was the daughter of the King of Wales. Julius Caesar conquered the British. He, he had trouble with the British Isles. He put a fortress there and a garrison of soldiers in 50 B.C. And because of that, there was, inter, there was exchange between the British Isles and Rome. We're talking about 50 A.D., 100 years later. There was a lot of interchange in trade. Soldiers going back and forth. And on one of those trips, Claudia, the daughter of the King of Wales, went to Rome. And in Rome, she married Pudens which when it comes out of Latin and into our English Bible is Pudens, who was a Roman senator. They married and went back to the British Isles. And the gospel was there so that when St. Augustine got there in 500, he was no saint to a Christian. When he got there in 500, he found the British Isles already Christian. But they had a problem. And you can read about this by the English historian, the Venerable Bede, Bede. You know what he said? When St. Augustine got here, he found the Isles already Christian, except he found several things that he didn't like about them. They wouldn't celebrate Easter. Go, go home. Now, you, well, you think I'm making this up. Anybody here who thinks I'm making it up, go home, go to a Google window, and punch in Venerable, B-E-D-E, as a standalone word, Augustine, Easter, and see what you find. See what you find. The, those Christians that are there, and I met with a whole lot of their ministers, St. Augustine said they won't celebrate Easter and they won't give Christianity to their children. Hmm. What might he mean by they won't give Christianity to their children? Can you, can we, can we, infant baptism. They wouldn't do it. Brethren, this is the truth of the Bible. Believe down in the world. That's what we came from. Isn't that wonderful? Amen. Go home and check it out. You know, we now have a, a tool, a witty invention, that you can go check in a library in a couple of clicks of your mouse to see if I've told you the truth or not. Believe down in the world. I love that little expression because that world included the North American continent, and it got here by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit, assisting his apostles. How shall they believe? unless they hear. How shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? God raised up an army, didn't he? Don't you like the Messiah when it gets to Psalm 68 and it said, the Lord, it's an organ. We don't have one here, but just imagine one, an organ chord in the middle of the Messiah, the Lord gave the word. Great was the company of the preachers. That is Psalm 68, verse 11. We gotta finish. 1 Timothy 3, 16, what's the last one? Received up into glory. Amen. Now are these in chronological order? No. Does God have to put them in chronological order? No. Do you like received up into glory last? I do, because it's like the crowning achievement of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I preached it to you a few months ago, so I don't need to spend much time on it. When Jesus died, his body was put in a tomb. His soul and spirit went to heaven. His spirit went to heaven. Remember, he told the thief, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Amen. His body was still in the tomb. When a, per when a person is resurrected, the spirit comes again, as the Bible describes in several cases of resurrection, what men being raised to life again, and re-enters the body to animate it because without the spirit, the body is dead. After 72 hours, the spirit came back down from heaven and rejoined that human body. No, he didn't go to hell. We're not Catholics. Amen. He was in heaven. He said, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. He didn't say, let's go to hell together and see if we can win the lost at any cost. He went to heaven. Oh, that's what they, where did that come from? The Apostles' Creed. In your red hymnals, the Apostles' Creed. Anyway, the Spirit came back in after three days. He came out, body, soul, and spirit intact. 
the full Jesus Christ reassembled with his body and the spirit in that body, still Jehovah God in the flesh, fully man, fully God. He met his apostles. He showed himself alive with, what does the Bible say? With many infallible proofs for 40 days. He showed them his hands. He said, stick your fingers in the holes in my hands. He said, I'm going to ascend to my father and to your father, and I'm going to ascend to my God and your God, but I haven't done it yet. We've got a little while together. What was the largest crowd he appeared to like this? 500 brethren at one time. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 tells us this. And then, brethren, he led them outside of the city of Jerusalem a little ways after 40 days. We're now, 10 days in front, we're now seven days in front of Pentecost. Don't forget the three in the tomb. I'm, sp I'm speaking to myself. Don't forget the three in the tomb. We're now one week away from Pentecost. And he blesses them. And our mighty Savior, don't you ever fear anything in this life. Our mighty Savior blessed them, and he stood there, and he simply ascended up off the earth. Gravity had no power against my Savior. Does he against yours? Nope. When you're in a plane, and you're wondering if it's going to make it safely to the airport, gravity is nothing for our Lord and Savior. Right. He went straight up into the clouds slowly so that they could watch him go up, as Acts chapter 1 tells us. <clears throat> And angels appeared and said, Why are you looking into heaven, ye men of Galilee? This same Jesus, is this exciting? Yes, this same Jesus that is taken up from you shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Now all they saw was him disappear into the clouds. We know the rest, don't we? Mm -hmm. Because we go over to Revelation chapter 5, and on the th John's picture of heaven, and it's put in terms that you can understand. God cannot be seen, but John saw God sitting on his throne, and in his hand was the book of the everlasting covenant that has your name and my name, every name that was written in that book before the world began, and all the blessings of eternal life. And it was sealed with seven seals, perfectly sealed up. And John saw that no man, no angel, nothing in heaven or in earth could open that book, and could take it from the hand of him that sat on the throne and open it. And John wept. Because, brethren, your future and my future, eternal life was contained in that book. Someone had to open that last will and testament of the great God and find in there the eternal life that he had promised to all of his children. Mm -hmm. And so they're in heaven. And he's weeping because there is no one there to open it. But something's happening between earth and heaven. Are you with me? What's happening? A chariot has an exceptional occupant. He isn't like an angel. He has a body. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, his body's being glorified, but he has a body. Angels don't have a body. He has a body. And he's flying up through space, and he comes into heaven. And it says he was brought before the Ancient of Days. And the Lord Jesus Christ came in because one of the elders there had said to John, don't weep. The Lion of the tribe of Judah has conquered all his enemies and is coming to open the book. Amen. That is being received up into glory, brethren. Amen. And Jesus Christ came and he appeared as a lamb slain. And he walked up to him that sat in the throne and he took the book out of his hands. And the one that sat in the throne said, no, you can't have it. No, he didn't say that. He gave it to him because he had shed his blood to be able to open that book, and that book was his book. What is the name of that book, brethren? The Book of Life of the Lamb. Amen. The Book of Life of the Lamb. And he ripped those seven seals off, and we're told about the judgments that came forth because of those seven seals, and that book is now open and at the last day. It's going to be opened again to find all of our names there, written in the book of life before the world began, with eternal life and all spiritual blessings forever and ever, as what our Father has given to us by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. After he had done that, he sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, waiting for God to make all of his enemies his footstool. And brethren, we are now a very short period of time away from him showing this universe 
that he is the blessed and only potentate, King of kings and Lord of lords. He is coming soon. There is no prophetic timetable to run. He is coming soon. He was received up into glory, and we live in one wonderful period of this world's history. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God, Jehovah God, was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. And do you, do you know what he wants from us? By which we can make all of his garments smell like myrrh, aloes, and cassia? What we've already done tonight, and what we're about to do, to remember his death <coughs> till he comes. Jehovah God laid down his life, told his angels to stand back, don't interfere, let me lay down my life for my brethren. And those angels till this day still desire to look into those things that God did for us, but did not do for their fallen colleagues. Are you with me? We are blessed abundantly. This is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And without a doubt, and without any controversy, it is great matter. I hope you love every one of those six phrases. And may God bless us to, as a church, be the pillar and ground of that information, that news, that good news, which is the gospel of Christ, and carry it to anyone that he shows us that needs to hear it. But until then, let's make sure that we love it and obey it.